0: Amen, amen. Yeah, thank you, team. Don't you appreciate the worship? Yeah? Come on, give them another hand. Absolutely. They are such a gift to us, such a gift. Well, are you glad to be in church? Yeah? Glad for the Lord in your life? couldn't live without him amen praise the lord let's go to uh hebrews chapter uh, i'm gonna pick it up at the end of chapter six so we'll pick it up at the end of chapter six and uh in verse 19 last week we were in hebrews chapter six and we were finishing it off the best we could uh actually we missed a lot of stuff uh, so but that's okay um I find it really fun. You ever walked away from a conversation and you're just kinda like, wow, what did I just say? Right? Uh, Maybe you're on the phone talking to somebody about uh, a struggle in their own life or something. And uh, that's the way we hope preaching is, is that hopefully, hopefully we walk away and we're like, wow, what did I just say, right? So lots of times, um, you know, preparing what we're we're doing is just kind of stuffing everything we can in our heart as possible, and then uh, believing that as we come before you, the Lord will say what he wants to say. And most of the time and often, it's not everything that's in the notes. So last week, he was really making an emphasis. I really felt the Holy Spirit making a strong emphasis on the anchor of our soul and uh, how the Lord is a strong anchor to our soul and how uh, desperately our soul needs an anchor. Uh, And uh, without the Lord as the anchor of our soul, then we're going to get blown uh, like a little, you know, a little boat out on a windy sea. Uh, We're going to get blown around by fear uh, we're going to get blown around by even vision, uh, dreams, goals. Uh, we're just going to get blown around. Uh, we're going to get blown around by trouble and uh, financial difficulty and uh, lack. We're even, you know, reflecting on today's uh, worship. We're going to even look in the mirror and get blown around. Right? So, oh my goodness, you know, I'm not tall enough, I'm not fat enough, I'm not skinny enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not handsome enough, you know, whatever it is, right? Uh, so, even looking at ourselves can be a source of being moved uh, uh, moved off course. When When we're blown around, you know, essentially, <laughs> and if we take the anchor illustration, when we're blown around... It's to be blown off course. The Lord has destinations for you, and, and he has a primary destination in salvation. Uh, and that's, that's not just to be with him, but he has a primary destination for you to fulfill your purpose that he saw over you when he planted you in this generation. So, the Lord has purpose over you, and if we don't have an anchor to our soul, we're going to get blown off of purpose. We're going to get blown off of purpose. And so, it's so awesome that the Lord is an anchor to our soul. Chapter 6, verse 19, this hope, the promise that we have of salvation, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus becoming high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Something that I I loved about this, and I pointed it out to you last week, uh, is that he's a forerunner. He's not the only runner. The language of the Scripture is purposeful because he has brought you with him into the Holy of Holies. He has brought you with him into the sanctuary not made with hands. He's brought you with him before Father and you are hidden in him today. That's, that's we talked about your identity a little bit today. That's your identity. That's Your identity is derived from where he's brought you. Your identity is derived from who he's made you to be in himself as the forerunner who's entered beyond the veil, beyond the, you know, the veil separated the holy place from the holy of holies, the tabernacle. And he's talking to... Those who are now born again, those who are saved, those who've come to the Lord, but they're Jewish people. Their history is Jewish. Uh, That's why it's called To the Hebrews. The book is To the Hebrews. And so he's talking to them. He's writing to them. They're very familiar with with the tabernacle concept. They're very familiar with the outer court, the inner court, the Holy of Holies, and this veil that was about four inches thick that separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is where the high priest can enter only once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. And that was a picture of Jesus, right? That Old Testament tabernacle was a picture of what Jesus would do. And and the people reading this, the people hearing this, the book of Hebrews, they're very familiar with this model. But now what God wants us to know, and Paul's writing this to us, that he was the forerunner. He was the forerunner. He's brought, he's brought us in with him. And that's a tremendous hope because we're not functioning from this level. We're functioning from that level, right? We're not, uh, we're not tackling problems from this level. We're not dealing with finances from this level we're not uh, sparring with one another from this level we're not frustrated uh, uh 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 in life from this level we're actually it's so important that we shift our purview that we shift our perspective to realize that that our spirit is divinely connected we are tethered to heaven and we're functioning from that place already Regardless of how you feel, regardless that your earth suit eyeballs are still connected to an earth suit realm where there's sheetrock and carpet and wood and trees. And... But our citizenship is in heaven. Come on, your citizenship is in heaven. This is a good thing, not a bad thing it's a It's a good thing to have a citizenship where there's no resource troubles where there's where there's no sorrow, where there's no sickness. It's good to have a citizenship that is tethered connected divinely divinely woven that's that's what communions all about right we have a we have a common union with Jesus, and in that common union with Jesus. Jesus, the man who represents us before Father in the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, not made with hands, as we have that divine relationship, then we can shift our thoughts, shift our thinking, shift our perspective, everything to do with the soul, mind, will, emotions, reasoning, imagination, everything to do with the soul. We can shift. We can we can teach, prophesy, relate to, encourage, confront, rebuke, all of the stuff going on in the soul out of that place where we are now. So you ever talk to your soul? Anybody ever talk to your soul? Be still, my soul. Come on. Anybody ever talk to your soul? See, this is, this is super powerful for us to realize that this is where our, our identity is derived from, and this is, this is the hope that we have, this, the sure and the steadfast hope that we have which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. To me, that stuff's just exciting. I, I absolutely love it. Our soul was never meant to function without Jesus. Our thoughts, our imaginations were never meant to function without Jesus. Jesus brings stability. Let's just pray right there, and we're going to jump into our next portion. Let's pray right there. Let's say this together. Father, I receive the stability of... The anchor of Jesus, the anchoring power of Jesus to my soul, to my mind, my will, my emotions, my reasoning, my imagination. I receive the anchor of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, the example of Jesus, the redemption through Jesus. I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Let's go on to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 1. This Melchizedek, he's going to jump into talking about Melchizedek. How many of you have heard of Melchizedek? We've talked a little bit about Melchizedek here uh, briefly before. How many of you have heard of Melchizedek? Sincerely, I need your hands to operate. Uh, Okay, so good. So a good... A good amount, probably, uh, 80% or something. So we know where Melchizedek comes from. A little bit about Melchizedek. Uh, Melchizedek shows up in Genesis chapter 14. And uh, I think it was something that really set Abraham, Abram who became Abraham by name as God added the consonant out of Yahweh to his name. He changes his name as he develops this relationship. We see the relationship with Abraham, Abram, and then Abraham starting in Genesis chapter 12 where he calls them, he calls him out of Ur the Chaldees and he calls him to a land that he's going to show him. And actually what he was doing there He was romancing, he was starting, he was beginning a relationship of faith. It was a relationship of faith. And we learn later and we come to know throughout Scripture that Abraham is the father of those who walk by faith. He's the father of those who walk by faith. And he begins this example, he begins like a lineage and an example of those who will walk by faith. And he believes God, and along the way, it's, it's noted that he believes God, and God credits it to his account as righteousness. So he believes God. He trusts God. He follows God. He, he leads God to this land, and he doesn't even tell him where he's going to go. He just says, to the land, I will show you. How many of you would like that one? How, would, how many of you would like that? Just, just get in the car. Where, 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 where are we going? To the land I will show you. Okay, can you give me a hint? Go straight. Oh, oh all right. Anything else? Nope. Not right now. Okay, we're we're going we're going straight for a while. How are we doing? Keep going straight. I mean, this is this is this faith relationship, and, and you know the the Bible. It's a little, it's a little bitty book, right? It's the Bible, 66 books. This this you know this little bitty. I mean, we don't have all of these crazy stories. We don't have the privilege of knowing all that's transpiring. But he's calling him to walk by faith. He's leading to him to a land that that he doesn't even know where he's going and so we know that the leading came little by little intricately and yet and just as he needs it right we're so used to a google map right you load the google map i want to see the whole picture right and then i i don't want to push start and not see where i'm going anybody anybody like that in here Okay, like I live with one who just pushes start, and then she trusts the silly thing. I'm like, no, 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 back out of that thing. I want to see where we're going. I want the big picture, that, okay? That's kind of the anti-faith. I don't have a lot of faith in Google. I want to see the big picture. I don't, I don't know that Abram even got to see the big picture, you know, right? He just, it was start, okay, turn right at 15th Street, Turn left, that's 17th Avenue, all right. And so, and this is this faith relationship. This is critical. I'm saying these things on purpose because this is the relationship now that God is developing us in as he's brought us into the lineage of Abraham. He's brought us into this faith relationship. Is that all right? And Melchizedek is instrumental in all of this and he shows up in Genesis 14, and he shows up there when Abram returns from saving Lot. So, Lot is his nephew, and they come out uh, together. Lot wants to, uh, to to be like a holy Klingon to Abram's departure, and, and so Lot travels with them. I could say some words about that, but we don't have time about the meaning of Lot's word, the, the name of Lot. But, but nonetheless, he attaches himself to blessing. He attaches himself to glory and to what God's doing. He comes out with him. Uh, now he's in trouble. And so Abram is in covenant with him. And if you're in covenant with somebody, then if they're in trouble, then you've got to go save them. So Abram has 318 servants. Uh, they all grab whatever they can. And I don't know what they had for armament, but they went and they pursued these five kings that had run off with Lot and run off with the kings uh, 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 around those cities. And Abram catches up with them and then he overtakes them and then he defeats them. And then he gets all of the plunder and he doesn't just get what they stole, but he gets all their stuff, right? And so he's he's got all of this stuff and and all of the troops that have been stolen, and he's got Lot, and he brings him back. And in Genesis chapter 14, when he brings him back, the person that meets him, and it's almost like this, you know, this moment that, and it's, it's shrouded in mystery, uh, 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 really, this whole section of Scripture is shrouded in mystery, but the, the person that meets him is this king, Melchizedek. And this king is known as a king of righteousness. That's what his name actually means. So his name actually means king of righteousness. But he's also the king of a city, or there's a jurisdiction wherein he is the king of. And by the way, you know, that word is used later on with David. It's used later on with Jesus. It's used later on in that he's the king of a city or a jurisdiction called Salem. So, this is, this is interesting, and I think it's also God's way of… because all, all of the Hebrew people would have known about this guy, by the way. This, is, this story is in the Torah. This is not an obscure story. This is not like something that… Uh, it's, it, it may have begun with oral tradition. It may have begun with, before Moses wrote it down. Moses wrote the Torah. It might have begun with some oral tradition, but… All of Israel would have known of this story. All of Israel would have known that this was part of what attached Abram to greatness, and what this is part of what attached Abram to God. And this is also a part of how it is significant or understood that Abram came to be highly blessed. Is that he returns from this battle And when he returns from this battle, this king of righteousness, who was the king of peace, a city called peace. And by the way, those two things go hand in hand always and all the time. When things are right, there will always be peace. When things are wrong, there won't be peace. Those two things work together. He comes back, and this is where Melchizedek blesses him. And the Word declares that he... He blesses him who has the promises. And I was, you know, I was thinking on this with regard to the Hebrew people, with regard to the significance of Abraham. Uh, There's people arguing over lineage to Abraham still today. People who want to be in the lineage of Abraham still today. And I I was thinking about, you know, part of what I think God was doing was setting uh, all of us up with uh, a sobriety that we wouldn't worship Abraham. that though he had the promises, though he had this divine relationship with God, yet he still was brought to bow before a king. And he still received blessing from a king, this one who had promises. So in bowing before this king, there was a recognition that the king was greater than the one who had the promises. That this king, Melchizedek, was one who was greater, and that Abram was not one to be worshipped, but there was something about this mysterious one, Melchizedek, that set him apart, that was a sign and a wonder from God. And this was the beginning, we might note, this was the beginning of great fulfillments with Abram. And the Word says, that out of his loins, out of the loins of Abram then, would come Aaron and Levi and the priesthood. So, this, this, is, this is the furthering of God developing this picture and this story with Abraham, one who was great, one who walked by faith, one who was set apart to God, one who hearkened to the voice of the, of the Lord, and one who was credited with righteousness because he believed. Isn't that cool? Let's read some more of this. Is that all right? You still here? Everybody okay? Hit your neighbor. Make sure they're awake. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of of all the spoils, was first of all, by translation of his name, King of Righteousness, and then also King of Salem, which is King of Peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Now again, here's this mysterious figure. We aren't told how long he was on the earth. We weren't we aren't told uh, how he went up. We know that we're told that Enoch, Enoch pleased God and God took him. Uh, we're, we're not told much about, it's almost like some of the angelic visits where it declares that an angel would visit Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, an angel would visit them. And maybe the translation of our Bibles would say, uh, would use the word angel but then the the Hebrew text would maybe use the word adonai or it would use a word that signifies this was actually the lord this was actually the lord this whole text carries that mysterious feel that that this was a pre-christophany this was something where where Jesus shows up, blesses, ministers to, receives Abraham, and then at some point, at some point, he's caught up and he's no longer there. And this becomes not just a part of Scripture, a part of happening, a part of history, but it becomes a known part Of the Hebrew world. And now Paul's bringing this out because throughout the Hebrews, remember what he's trying to do? He's trying to reiterate, he's trying to show, he's trying to illustrate that Christ is superior, that Jesus is superior to Moses, he's superior to the law, that he's superior to any other means of righteousness. And in doing so, he's connecting Jesus now to this Melchizedek priesthood, which was a superior priesthood, that though it didn't continue in its earthly expression, it continued in its expression in the heavenlies. So it's almost like we see Jesus, who already was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the earth, show Himself on the earth. And then ascend back into the tabernacle that Moses later saw as a pattern when he was to build one. How many of you know there's a heavenly tabernacle that existed before the tabernacle that Moses built? So in Exodus 25, in Exodus 25, when he's given this pattern, that was part of the instruction, is that when he was on the mount up on Sinai, and he saw the pattern Then he's instructed later, be sure that, and this is part of what he was doing up there for 40 days. It didn't take that long to write the Ten Commandments on stone. Actually, what he was doing for 40 days, Moses was having visions of the heavenly sanctuary, the heavenly tabernacle, the heavenly, and he was seeing that which would become the pattern, the architectural structure for something that he would build on earth but actually it preexisted in the heavenlies. So the atoning of animals even was just a shadow of what Jesus was already indicating before Father that this would be the fulfillment that would come. That was already available, visible, known, understood, and so this period of the tabernacle system and the sacrifices was a shadow of that which had already been seen and already existed. Am I making sense? Is this okay? Now, I'm saying all of this, or Paul's saying all of this, because he wants us to know the significance of Jesus that Melchizedek had this priesthood that was superior. It started before the priesthood with Aaron and the Levites. And now in Christ, we're being drawn back to that priesthood. We're being drawn back to that priesthood. We're being drawn back to the one who anointed Abraham, who blessed Abraham, who set Abraham apart, who declared goodness over Abraham. Pick it up at verse 4. Now observe how great this man was, whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the choice of spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. Verse 7, let's keep going. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, the case of the law, in this case, mortal men receive tithes. But in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. So this is this is interesting. Uh, it's interesting also, I think it's interesting uh, that Melchizedek knew what to do. Don't you find it's interesting that Melchizedek knew what to do? It's also interesting that as he approaches, I mean, that, that, that Abraham knew what to do is what I'm, I'm thinking, because we have to understand that there had to be some backdrop of instruction here or Abraham wouldn't have known what to do, Right? I mean, if you come up, uh, if you're coming back from uh, a great victory and you've got uh, all of your servants with you, 318 servants he had, and you're coming back from a great victory and you come up on a knoll and there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a guy standing there with a giant robe on and uh, a glistening crown, uh, I, I mean, there, there had to be some preparation of the Holy Spirit with Abram that he would know what to do. And it's also interesting that I think it's interesting because these guys would have known that when you have a spiritual relationship with God, that to bring God an offering is normal. That's normal. That's a part of relationship. A part of relationship is to bring God an offering out of your increase. That's normal. That started in Genesis chapter 4. That's what got Cain and Abel in trouble. Remember that? So this, they knew all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, all the way back to Cain and Abel, they knew that to have a spiritual relationship with Father God, you will bring, you will bring a, a portion of your increase, and you will offer that to the Lord as a thanksgiving offering, right, and as a worship expression, and to honor God. So this... God asked of that, and there was instruction about that in Genesis chapter 4, and it it declares there that that Cain brought the fruit of the ground, but Abel brought choice uh, uh, meat or choice fat from his flock. Well, obviously, God had given them instruction on what he wanted. God had obviously told them, What he wanted was he wanted an incense offering of the burning of fat because the burning of fat is very, very much considered, like God, an incense offering that indicates the setting aside of flesh and pride. And so God had given them some kind of instruction. How many of you know that? Otherwise, they wouldn't have known to do that in Genesis chapter 4, right? And so this has been going on for a long time. So, all the way from Cain and Abel all the way to Abraham, there's been generation after generation who know to bring the Lord an offering, but how did Abram know to bring Melchizedek an offering? I mean, he recognizes something about him, and in reverence, he gives him a tenth of all of the spoils. And by the way, all the spoils were his. All the spoils were his to give, right? And and in the process, in the process of this battle, of this victory, they had come back with increase, not only the stuff that had been stolen, but the stuff they stole from those that had plundered these kings. So, they come back with increase, and he brings, and it says he gives he gives the choicest spoils. Verse 4, now observe how great this man is, this man who who Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. This is, this is, by the way, this is Abraham leading us in an example of how we relate to Father. This is the father of faith. This is 430 years before the law gave instruction to the, to the Levites to bring an offering to God to bring a tithe to God. 430 years before that, we see Abram, this is his response. He comes and he kneels before Melchizedek. He recognizes who he is, one without genealogy, one who is like the Son of God. No doubt he was radiant in his countenance. It says he's the king of righteousness. In other words, there was nothing, no one's more superior. King of righteousness means superior in righteousness. Well, this is why the guy never died, because righteousness is the gateway to eternal life. It's the gateway to taste of eternal life. This is why we are told that we're already partakers of eternal life, because we've been covered in the righteousness of Jesus. When Adam and Eve were tested, they fell from righteousness, and immediately they tasted of death. Death comes in through right through the loss of righteousness. Life comes in by tasting of righteousness, walking in righteousness, being covered in righteousness. So here he is. He's before the king of righteousness and the king of Salem, and he receives blessing. But his right response is to give him 10% which I think it's interesting, why, why would the Bible even give us a numeric equation? Uh, isn't that interesting? And this is, by the way, this is the father of all who will walk by faith. Everything about this guy's relationship with God in the Torah all the way to the Hebrews and Romans and Galatians is a walk of faith. Well, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. This is Romans chapter 10, verse 17. By the, word, by the way, uh, it's repeated there on purpose. Faith comes. But uh, Brad, do we have that? Can we pull that up? Pull up Romans uh, 10, 17 if you would. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. By the word of Christ, I want to see that. I want to read that with you, maybe in the New American Standard. I think this is significant because we have to know that everything that's happening with Abram is because he's hearing and obeying. He's hearing and obeying. He's hearing and obeying. And I think even the 10%, I think even the 10% that he brought is because he had received instruction. There had been instruction, and so he brings and he offers ten percent to this Melchizedek in obedience in a right response to instruction. And by the word by the way, the word there word, see the way word, word. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word. See the word word? Everybody see that? That's the word Rhema. So word Rhema. And I think that's part of why the scripture is written kind of oddly like that. Faith comes because it could just say faith comes by from hearing. Right? Uh, but it's a it's a certain kind of hearing. It's a certain kind of it's hearing the Rhema of Christ. So it's in other words, not the word Rhema is different, a little different than the word logos, and the word rhema signifies or is directly correlated. If you look in your Strong's Concordance, it's actually number 4778 in your concordance, and it actually means an utterance, like a vocal utterance. It's related to like a a specific, clear, personal utterance that is inspired and given to you as a declaration or a saying a divine utterance of God, and so it's not just like the the whole counsel of God. It's not just the the whole of the Torah. It's not the faith that comes. The faith that came to Abram is because he specifically heard Rama from the Lord. He was hearing Rama. He was hearing something in his gut that was giving him instruction, and so all of the way through his life from Ur the Chaldees. To this moment here, he's hearing from God and he's obeying the word of the Lord. So he brings 10%. And it becomes an example to those of us now that are who walk by faith. This becomes an example of those of us who follow after the faith of Abraham. We find that the Holy Spirit bears witness to our heart that we bring 10%, and we bring that to the Lord as a right offering, as a right sacrifice, 10% of every victory, 10% of our increase, 10% of battles that we win, 10% of things that we overcome, 10% of prosperity that comes even through the help and the hands of our servants, we bring 10%. Is that all right? Is that okay? Okay. Verse nine. I want to. I want to pick it up at verse nine, and then I want to. I want to close with a couple of thoughts on faith. Um, I don't have time for all the thoughts that I have on faith. But you're going to have a great week of prevailing, and overcoming the enemy. You're going to have a great week of prosperity in the Lord. You're going to defeat enemies this week. You're going to have advancement in the vision and the dreams that God has for you, and you're learning how to walk by faith. And to walk by faith, it's to hear the voice of the Lord and to trust that that voice that you're hearing is leading you into a pathway of blessing. His voice is leading you into a destination. His voice is leading you into ministry expression. His voice is leading you into a better marriage, into better parenting. Everything that you need in life, actually, now that you've come into this faith of Abraham, and now that you've become like a a one who is an heir, of, uh, uh, of the intention and of the goodness of God through Jesus Christ, who we're told became the seed of Abraham. You have this privilege of being led by the Holy Spirit. You have this privilege of being led and, and walking in faith like our father Abraham did. I need the band to come and we need to prepare to close this morning. Why don't you stand with me? God has written his laws on your heart. And laws might seem like a a, kind of a harsh word, kind of a big word, kind of a maybe kind of a strong word. But essentially what it's saying there is that God, and this is Jeremiah 31, and there's several passages in the Old Testament where it talked about the days that came when Paul was writing the Hebrews. The days of revelation. The days of walking with God. And Jeremiah 31, 33 says that I'm going to write my laws on their heart. I'm going to take out that heart of stone and I'm going to put a brand new heart within them. That's you. You have received a brand new heart and you can discern the voice of the Lord. And though you can sin, you can't enjoy it. Did you hear what I'm saying? Though you can sin, you can't enjoy it. Why? Because the law of God, the instruction of God, the word of the Lord has been written on your heart, and your heart has been made active to his voice. And so now you're living by faith, and and the most fulfilling thing is to live by faith. The most fulfilling thing is to follow his voice, to be like Abraham, to follow his voice. And we might say today, as we said a little earlier even, that one of the most critical things is that we don't let ourselves get blown off of course, that the voice of the Lord over your life is like it was with Abram in many ways in the beginning. And he's saying to you, I want to take you to the land that I'm going to show you. He's got a destination for you, and he wants to take you to a specific destination. Later on, he would call that land for them, the children of Abraham, the promised land. Why would he do that? Because it's where promises are fulfilled. It's where your heart rejoices. This is what God has for you. But I want to take us back to the anchor of the soul. It's so important that we engage with God to defend that destination. How many marauders, how many How many interrupters came as Abram is traversing from Ur the Chaldees to this new place in Mesopotamia where it was fertile, where it was gorgeous, where it was beautiful. It says where God was leading him was like the garden of God. It was like heaven. It was like Eden. And so he's on this route. But how many interruptions came? How many came to steer him off course? How many gave the wrong direction? And he had to recenter. He had to recenter on what the instructions were that God had given him. And this is what I want to encourage you to do as well this morning, to lean into the anchor of your soul. But the partner with him, partner with him, to push out the distractions and the voices, to push out all that wants to pull you off of course, pull you off of purpose. Keep your heart centered. Keep your heart centered. What's the Lord said to you? That's a rhema. That rhema, that's the beginning of faith. Faith comes by hearing. But when we're following that rhema of God, we will continue to be moving in the right direction to the right destination. We will continue to be those who walk by faith. And this is, this is... This is what God desires of you, that you walk by faith, that you walk by faith. Other voices, other voices coming, other voices coming. No, you just keep plowing. You keep walking. You keep walking. You keep walking. This is the destination. This is the destination. This is the destination. Lord, we pray for your people this morning. Lord, we declare the growing intimacy of the Spirit within every single son and daughter of God in this house, a growing intimacy released in every heart, a growing intimacy released in every life, the knowing of your voice, my sheep know my voice, you've declared that And we declare the knowing of your voice, the knowing of your voice, the trusting of your voice, Lord. The partnering with the spirit realm, the partnering with Jesus to quench, to ignore, to overthrow every other voice, every other voice. And to tap into the anchor of the soul, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. We thank you for it today, Father. We bless you for it today, Father, in Jesus' name. Come on, let's give the Lord a shout this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, I want to open the front as we close this morning, and uh, we're just going to allow you to come forward. If you've got uh, uh, the need for a physical healing in your body or anything happening wherein you just believe that the Lord would touch you, would you come and be prayed for this morning? Greet one another as you go. Bless one another. We're going to worship as we go out this morning.